0: Go so, and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. We'll be there in a minute. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. And also, take out your bulletin if you can. I'm going to go ahead and give you the first answer there. What are the commandments? Or what are commandments? And I think that's important because I really want to define for us where we're going today. We're going to be focusing on the new covenant, for those of you that know what that is. But I think it's important before you talk about the new covenant, you have to realize and put it in perspective what the old covenant is. So, When we talk about commandments today, and I may use commandments and law interchangeably, the commandments and the law are what make up what we can call the Old Covenant. Technically, it's called the Mosaic Covenant. So you can write down there that the commandments are basically this, God's instruction to mankind on how best to live. God's instruction to mankind on how best to live. That may not be the best sentence structure to put it in, but I think that's the way to lay it out is that God has given us commandments. We see commandments in the Old Testament. We have commandments in the New Testament. And these are God's instruction to mankind on how best to live. Now, in the Old Testament, the commandments were, as some of you may think, it is the Ten Commandments, but there was also a lot more. There was hundreds of more commandments that God had given. And these commandments regulated everything from relationships to the way you worked, to the way you cleansed yourself, to the way you... Um, had fellowship with God through, through sacrifices. And these commandments defined, for the Jewish people, it defined every aspect of their lives. And if they obeyed the commandments, if they followed God's commands, then God promised them that he would be with them and that he would bless them. Let me read for you from, from Leviticus 26. 26 verse 3 God said, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And God goes on there for the next few verses, several verses actually. And then at verse 14, he says, but if you do not obey me, And do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant. So see, God's basing the covenant is based on obeying the commandments. But if you break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So God's making it very clear, obey my commandments. There's value in obeying my commandments. And God makes it very clear that if you don't obey my commandments, there's consequences. But to close out that thought, in verse 44, after God lays out all the blessing and then all the cursing, listen to this. Because people say, well, some people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. But I don't buy that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But listen to this. God says at the end of all that cursing that he'll lay out for them, he says, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So God's basically saying, even if you go astray, even if you get caught up in sin, I'm, I am going to bring you back. Now notice that change there. So God's saying, if you obey my commandments you'll be blessed. Because if you obey God, that brings blessing. Not because God, you know, gives you a cookie if you're a good little boy and girl, but because God's ways are the way to blessing. Whereas if you turn from God's ways, it's not that God is going to give you a spanking, although we know that as children, God does tell us that he'll, ch- you know, he'll, he'll, he'll chasten us and bring us back to the fold. But it's that God has given us commandments saying, don't do these things because if you do these things, there's external consequences, not from me. I'm not going to give you a spanking, but there's there's consequences to sin. And I think we know that. If If you go ahead and just indulge in every drug that there is, your life isn't going to be very good. If you go ahead and just spend money like you don't have it, there's going to be consequences to that. If you go ahead and get caught up in fornication and adultery, there's diseases, let alone relationships that get torn. So it's not that God is saying you know, don't do these things because I'm a cosmic killjoy, but God is saying, don't do these things because I see the big perspective, and I know that these things bring death. So stay away from it. So that's the Mosaic law. That's the Mosaic covenant, and that's what God laid out. And in the first five books of the Bible, which is what the Jews call the Torah, it's interesting because that is the law, and literally the word Torah means instruction. So God is giving instruction to his people. Now, I think as Christians, if we went around the room, we would all say, well, we know that we're not under the law anymore, but maybe we don't know why. So that's what I want to get into today. I want to talk about, and I want to compare and contrast the the new covenant with the old. Now, what was the purpose of the the Mosaic Mosaic law? There was a purpose to it. And again, God gave the law, and, and the law is good. The law isn't bad, but, but the law is good. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 19. Paul says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed, being Jesus, should come, to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but, for, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So Paul says that, and he's setting the stage here really for what we'll get into, but he says that if the law was good enough, then there wouldn't have been a need for a second, a second covenant or, or another covenant. If the law could bring life, if the law could save you, then there, was need, there wasn't a need for anything else. But he says, But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Interesting. The law was a tutor, or in other words, a schoolmaster. And Paul says that it was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So one point of the law, or the purpose of the law, was to, to bring us to Christ, to draw us to Christ. And this is, this is why, is because the law was so burdensome. So another thing to note about the, the law, the commandments, was that there were so many of them that governed all aspects of your life that you had to also continually bring sacrifices. So year in and year out they had to bring sacrifices. And I want to read for you briefly, again, going back to Leviticus, which is a good way to put people to sleep. But check this out in Leviticus, if I can turn to it. Now, this is the Day of Atonement. So each day, once a year, the Day of Yom Kippur, what is today known as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Jews would go through this sacrificial ritual because this was before Christ died on the cross, obviously. So there wasn't yet atonement for sin. So the Lord said to Moses, he said, Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering. Now listen to the tedious, burdensome details, and there's a reason for that. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offered as a sin offering." But the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals. And we could go on and on. But you see, this is what was required. This is what God said was, this is the only way you can have peace with me. Because God can't have any separation between, or God can't have sin, as a sin is a barrier to our relationship with God. So before Jesus died on the cross and took all the sins of the world upon Himself and made atonement for all of the world and all of our sins for those that would believe by faith, this is the way it was done. And I think it's important for us as believers. Sometimes we enjoy our salvation, and, and we should. But sometimes I think we forget the cost. Sometimes I think we forget really what Jesus did on the cross. You see, you've never gone to the temple, have you? And and taken a lamb and a goat and made sacrifice. But yet every year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, they would take this, and, and and at Passover also, and they would sacrifice the lamb. It's interesting to note that on the day, uh, the the Passover, you recall, Jesus was crucified on Passover. And that's because he was the sacrificial lamb. As John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was our sacrificial lamb. So I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but I'm giving you a sneak peek where we're going. Jesus was that sacrificial lamb. And the Jewish historian Josephus says that at at the time of Passover, Jews were required to, of course, we know this from the word. The Jews were required to come back into Jerusalem and and make the sacrifices, and they were to bring lambs and goats and whatever they could without blemish, an animal without blemish, and, and sacrifice for the redemption or for the cleansing of their sins for that previous year. Now, at the time that Jesus was crucified on the cross, Josephus tells us that in that year, he says that there estimates there could have been up to 3 million, 3 million Jews. So you can imagine with all the Jews coming in, they had to bring lambs that were having to be sacrificed, which is a pretty, sounds like if you read through it in Leviticus, sounds like a pretty bloody ordeal. And Josephus said that, that, that because of all the sacrifices that went on in Jerusalem at this time, and, and the, the lambs were being, you know, there was blood and it was flowing and everything, and Jerusalem is up on a hill. So Josephus reports that at the time, and this would be at the very time that Jesus was walking out of the city with his cross, going to Golgotha and going to be nailed to the cross for you and I. And at that very time we read, Josephus tells us that the blood was, there was so much blood that it would literally be flowing out of the drains down through Jerusalem, through the city and out to where it would basically be, you know, taken away. But that was going on at the exact same time that Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, was walking with the cross. So it's, a, it's an amazing picture. You know, sometimes we forget, why, why is Jesus the lamb that doesn't, you know, how does that really relate to everything? But he's our sacrificial lamb. So now that I've given you a 10-minute intro, let's get into the actual text here. So I'm going to read now from Hebrews 8, and it should be up on the screen, at least the first two verses. And so if you have it on your in your Bible or on your iPhone or whatever, go and read it with me. Not out loud, but you can just read it. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, Because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. So let's break this down now. The first thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us is that if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now, we already touched on that briefly, but Hebrews also tells us that the first covenant was faulty. It, it, had, it had weakness. It was weak, the writer of Hebrews says. The writer also says it was unprofitable in verse 18. And also in verse 18, it says that it made nothing perfect. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to permanently take away sins. And the writer also tells us, let's just call him Paul. I know there's debate who wrote Hebrews, but I'm just going to say Paul. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Paul also tells us that not only was it impossible for the blood and bulls of goats to take away our sin, but he says that if it was possible, they would have, the sacrifices would have ceased. There would have been no need to go year after year back up to Jerusalem to make, to make atonement, to, to make the sacrifice. Now, another reason that the law was faulty, because it was conditioned on our keeping the law. If you recall there, what we read in Leviticus is God said, if you do these things... If you obey my commandments, if you keep my statutes and you walk in my ordinances, then your land will be blessed. Your your business will be blessed. Your relationships will be blessed. You'll be protected from your enemies. So it was an if-then. That was the covenant that God had made. The Mosaic covenant there was if-then. But see, it was faulty because we couldn't keep it. You and I cannot keep it. If you think you can keep the law, try keeping the law for a day. Try being good and going a whole day without sinning. It's impossible. You just sinned because you were prideful and thought I could do it. Me too, but. So we couldn't keep the law. So that's an important thing to contrast for us. The new covenant, because the old, and I'll call it the old covenant, the old covenant was conditioned on our ability to keep the law. The new covenant is not conditioned on our ability to keep the law, and we'll get into it, but the new covenant is simply based on faith by grace. Paul tells us that it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's God's grace through faith, simply believing on the finished work of the cross, that then my sins are washed away I'm clean and sanctified and redeemed ultimately. And so Paul also tells us there in verse 8, he says that God found fault with them. And God found fault with them because he looked at them and saw that they couldn't keep the law. I mean, it's, you know, I think when we read through the Old Testament, you read of the story of the children of Israel, it gets a little frustrating, doesn't it? Because it's like God saves them and they go back into sin. And then God saves them, and they go back into sin. And then God saves them, and they go back into sin. I mean, read Judges. That's what Judges is all about. And lest we think we're any better than that, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, "In you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh." fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So see, Paul's saying before Christ died, you guys were in no better state. I mean, we were were floundering. We had no hope. Man at his best is evil. Man at his best is a wicked creature. You know, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is desperately wicked above all evil who can know it. So we know that at our best we're not even close to being where we need to be to, to obtain that righteous standing with God. Paul says, we walked according to our flesh, according to the prince of the power of the air, the course, the course of this world. And then here's the key. But Paul says, and I love these buts in the Bible. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So, we were dead, but God came who was rich in mercy. And that actually sounds, if you, if you compare that to that passage in Leviticus that we read, Leviticus 26, you know, God's, it's basically a similar picture where we're dead, and then God says he would redeem them with his mercy. Then going on in our text, verse 8, the writer says, Behold, the days are coming. Now, this is quoting from Jeremiah He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So God is prophesying back in the book of Jeremiah. You can go back and read it. 1500 years ago, God prophesied that he would one day make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now we know that when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to the Gentiles. Paul says that the, that, the, that the message of the gospel is to the Jew first, then to the Greek, right? Or then to the Gentile. So, and you recall there that story of the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus and, and says, Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus is kind of ignoring her. And she says, Lord, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus says to her, he says, I came but to the house of the lost sheep of Israel, And then she says, Lord, please. And so Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was drawing out her faith. He wasn't being rude and ignoring her, but he was drawing her faith out. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs that dine at the table have to eat of the master's crumbs. And so Jesus said, blessed is your faith. Your daughter is healed. But you see that we we see the, the, the point of that is the picture is that Jesus came first to the Jews. He came back to the Jews first. Now, did the Jews receive him? The exact opposite. They crucified him, right? So, but this prophecy is an incredible prophecy, and it now applies to us because we know that because the Jews rejected Christ, that we read also in the Old Testament the prophecy that God would go to a new people, right? And we read there that Paul said, What did Paul say in the book of Acts? He said, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. So, I think it's just important to stop and pause here for a minute and realize that Israel, for us, for, uh, as the church, who is not Israel, Israel is the perfect picture of God's faithfulness. If you ever get concerned that God's giving up on you, just look to the Jews. If you go to Israel today, they're still all holy and righteous in their keeping of the law. Even though, interestingly enough, they don't make sacrifices anymore, although there's a huge movement amongst the Orthodox Jews to kind of build, rebuild the temple and institute the sacrifices because they know that without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us there is no remission of sin. So so Israel is the perfect picture because God says, and he said there in Leviticus, he said, one day I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to do the work. It's going to be my doing, not contingent on what you do, Jews, but based on who I am. I am the Lord. And what he's saying there is implied in that concept is that his very nature is mercy. God's very nature is redemption. God's very nature is love. And I think it's important to to remember that as the church is that our nature, our appearance to the world should not be those guys are in sin and he's wrong and we reject that, you know, we can't get along with that uh, denomination and we have all these disagreements and you know, that community is caught up in sin and they think they should have the same rights that we have and we reject all that. And I'm not saying we don't, we don't forsake the truth and the clear teaching of scripture and what God has laid out. But what I'm saying is that what is our appearance first and foremost? Is it judgmental or is it mercy and love and forgiveness? Because those things draw people in, you know, Jesus, the only people that Jesus blasted were who? The religious leaders. Jesus blasted them and said that, you know, they're, they're going to die in their sins because they were basing their righteousness on the law and they were for, for, you know, rejecting Jesus as Messiah. So, but just to note there again, you know, Paul says in Romans 11, coming back to this, this verse, verse 8, Paul says that one day all Israel will be saved. And it's important to remember that God is going to bring the Jews back to himself. And we see that laid out in Revelation. I'd love to get into it, but we don't have time. So now that we've laid that, and I I hope we have a good framework for this, let's go and let's get into now this this natural progression now into this discussion of the new covenant here. He tells us in verse 9 that it's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Now you recall there that in in the book of Matthew, we read in some of the other gospels, but that Jesus took the bread, he blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So this is the instituting here of the new covenant with you and me. So another word for covenant, and I didn't say this in the beginning, but I probably should have, is another, another word for covenant is just agreement or contract. It's, it's where parties have defined obligations on either side. And Jesus is saying here that if you partake in these things, if you believe on me, if you accept me in my finished work on the cross, then you will enter into this new covenant. You will enter the, into this new agreement. The writer tells us, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So see, this is another aspect here is that what did Jesus tell his disciples after he rose from the dead? He told them that, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I I will not, actually this is before he rose from the dead, before he went to the cross, but he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. And he said, I will send you a comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and bring to your remembrance all things that I've commanded you. So Jesus said, the Comforter is going to come in after I leave. The Comforter is going to come. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit now has come in and has indwelt us, lives in me, lives in you, if you've received Christ and, and believed on his finished work. And the Spirit lives in us and brings to our remembrance all things that Jesus commanded us. As Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so an integral part of this new covenant is, are the commandments. Now, I'm not talking about the 10 commandments, not that those have been done away with. As Jesus said, I didn't, I'm not doing away with the law. Jesus said, I fulfill the law. But the commandments that Jesus has given us, and those are the commandments that we're going to be learning out, uh, looking at in the coming weeks. But the important thing to, to note here is that these aren't commandments that are coming from Tablets of stone. You recall what did Moses do? He went up the mountain, got the tablets, and came back down, right? These aren't, these aren't commandments that are on tablets of stone. We don't have a book of commandments in the back that you go to and read to make sure you're, you know, complying with God's covenant. But we read here that Jesus, that God would would write them on our hearts and put them in our minds. And so now it's a new relationship that we have with God. You see, before the relationship was follow these laws. It was external. Follow these external commandments, these external regulations, these ordinances, these statutes, and you'll have positional standing with God. You'll have a relationship with God. But see now, and this is the key thing. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, hear this. It's the new covenant is that God has now written his will on our hearts and on our minds because what has happened, God has come and has, in, has dwelled within us or dwells within us. And I think we forget that sometimes, don't we? We kind of go about our day and we feel a little depressed or we feel frustrated about situations or we're not sure what to do in a situation or you know, we feel like things are just out of, out of control. And you forget the fact that God lives within you Through Jesus Christ alone. There's no other source. There's no other outlet to plug into. But through the finished work of the cross. That's the only way that you get the power of God to be in your life. Now let me read you a quote from Chuck Smith. Speaking of this verse. He says, The writer of Hebrews described the new covenant that God has made with his people. This time the law will be written on mind and hearts. It is no longer predicated on our ability to keep the law. Now it is predicated on what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and on the faithfulness of God. And the wonderful thing is now God is working on our hearts. He is changing our desires from within. And rather than longing for the things of the world, we are longing for the things of the Spirit. The glorious result is a genuine, intimate, personal relationship with God. And we see there that he says in just a Close it here, he says in verse 12, he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So my closing point, and I guess it's a question to you, is where are you in this new covenant? Are you enjoying? Would you say, would you, if, if we asked you a question, you were to write down an answer, would you answer that you have a genuine? intimate relationship with God? Are you hearing his voice today? Is he leading your life? Yes, the word is important, but are you being led by the Lord? Are you being led by his spirit in your life? Now, if this all sounds like a different language to you, then, you know, maybe it's something to consider. Talk to a pastor afterwards, but just consider these things. And I'm going to pray, and as I do, if, if this is something that sounds like it's foreign to you, I just would ask that you would just, it's, it's a very simple thing. You come to the Lord and you ask him that you want this new relationship with him, and that you want and that you accept his sacrifice on the cross for you and his finished work. It's that simple. That's the new covenant. And I would encourage you to talk to a pastor, again, if you have more questions. We, time doesn't permit to get into more of this stuff, but let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for these truths. We thank you for um, the truth that is here, Lord, that sets us free. We thank you, Lord, that you dwell within us. We thank you that you are leading our lives. And Lord, for those that are here today that may not know you, that may not say, "I, I don't have a genuine intimate relationship with God. It still feels like external do's and don'ts and regulations, and it feels burdensome. Lord, we know that you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So I pray that for those of you that, for those of us today, Lord, that don't know you, that Lord, they would come and just confess their sin and receive the work of the cross and turn from their sin and repent, Lord. Lord, just remind us of our relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.